we're coming to a conclusion, the conclusion of this sermon series uh, focused on the book of 2 Corinthians. This is one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. And we're going to be wrapping up this book uh, this month in November before we head on over to a new sermon series on Advent, Advent leading up to Christmas. Uh, and yeah, Christmas is coming. We just saw Christmas trees at a store yesterday. It's just surreal that 2023 is almost over for us. Um, but if you're just joining us for this current sermon series, I want to repeat a really quick summary, uh, same one Pastor Joey shared last week. Because just to get you up to speed, this letter, it contains or can be pl- split up into three main parts. And the first part is the first seven chapters. And here Paul is basically reconciling with the Corinthians. There had been some tra- drama at the church and so he was reconciling with them. And then chapters 8 and 9, Paul's calling on the Corinthians to consider how being generous is an act of their faith, how, how being generous is the external manifestation or the evidence of their understanding of the gospel message that they had been each given. And now we're in the third part of this letter. And this part of the letter is where Paul is calling out all the people who are, are misleading the Christians in Corinth. Now, I want to say, last week, Pastor Joey, he focused on the first half of chapter 11. Uh, I really loved his message. And in that message, he spoke about the fake, the counterfeit gospels that existed at the time. And he talked about so we could use those lessons to recognize the fake gospels that exist today amongst us. And if you were not here last week, um, please check out our website, go to YouTube, go to the sermon podcast. We don't do it on TikTok yet, but maybe one day. Because it, it was a challenging message. It was an eye-opening message. I encourage you, please, take a listen. Because like, for me, there was one thing that really resonated from his message last week, which was this, that fake gospels, they provide good advice on what I can do, but the real gospel, the real gospel is the good news of what Jesus has already done. The good news of what has already been done to address the real problem that's within me. There's so much you can learn from that message last week, so I encourage you, take a, take a listen if you can. But today we're going to read the rest and look at the rest of chapter 11. And as I was studying this passage for today, um, there were two words that really stood out to me as I was reading through it over and over again. It was the word fool and the word boast. So what I'm going to be doing today is spending the next 25-ish minutes. And by the way, yes, Joey's might go 50 plus minutes. I stop at 25 because I don't want to hear myself talk for longer than that anyway. So uh, about 25 minutes, we're going to consider the biblical definition of a fool. And we're going to consider the gospel-centered approach to boasting. All right. So we're going to start with the word fool. In verse 16, Paul starts off by saying, I repeat. Let no one think me foolish. So what does it mean to be foolish? Or another way to ask the question, we want to take into consideration the context for Paul, the original author. Another way to ask the question is this. How would Paul, how would a Jewish person from this time define a fool? And the short answer, I think, is this is that Paul or a Jewish person of that time frame, they would have defined a fool as anyone who goes against God, right? If you turn to Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, it says here, the fool says in his heart, 
there's no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. A fool is someone that believes that there's no God. It's a pretty simple definition, but it's not a simplistic idea. There are a lot of descriptions throughout Scripture of how a fool behaves because God definitely wants us to be able to recognize who the fools are around us, right? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. It says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. They just like to hear their own voice. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. This one I love. This cracks me up. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. This is why I don't have pets. I don't want to see that ever. It's not... Anyway, the examples here I'm reading, they don't just come from the Old Testament. Paul, in today's passage, also gives some warning signs for us to look for as well. Paul wants us to recognize fools, especially foolish leaders. If you look at verse 20, it says, For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. A foolish leader as Paul writes, is someone that makes slaves of you. Or, another way to think of it, someone who is a leader of servants rather than a servant leader. As Paul writes, a foolish leader is one that devours you. Or, in today's vernacular, it might be someone that drains you instead of fills you. Someone who feeds on your attention, who feeds on your praise, rather than feeding you the truth, rather than feeding you the gospel, whether it's in your small group, in your Sunday school, or even in your relationship. A foolish leader is someone, as Paul writes, who takes advantage of you or someone who, who needs you to encourage them, who needs your uh, words of affirmation only and never bothers to encourage you. A foolish leader is one who puts on airs or someone who is, has an amazing personality but absolutely no character. So when Paul is writing that, you know, Please, please do not think I'm a fool for what I'm about to say. Paul is begging the people in the Corinthian church as they're reading his letter to not mistake him for someone that doesn't know God, right? His plea is this, please do not consider me as someone that would rather devour you than to deliver you. Please, please do not consider me to be one who does not believe in God because you know what? The words that I'm about to write, the words that I'm about to speak, they're going to definitely make me sound like I'm a fool. So a fool, from a biblical perspective, is someone that believes there isn't a God. And I would guess, I have a feeling that the majority of folks in this room right now are maybe listening online. Uh, you're probably thinking, well, that will not apply to me. It doesn't apply. Because... I believe it's highly unlikely that you would dedicate over an hour and a half uh, of your precious time listening to me singing songs, even though they're, you know, Zach's voice is awesome, thinking about God if you didn't think God was listening. It's highly unlikely that you would have bothered to get out of your nice, comfortable bed, even though you had an extra hour of sleep, put on pants, uh, whatever you had to do to get here, bother to gather here in this space if you didn't think God was noticing. So, you know, you might think you're pretty safe. 
But before you get too confident in this, I want to clarify one thing with regards to the definition of a fool. Because a fool is someone who doesn't know, who doesn't believe in God, which is basically an atheist. But a fool is also someone who acts like someone who doesn't believe in God, who acts like someone who doesn't believe God is real. So a fool is an atheist or practical atheist. You might ask, so what is a practical atheist? If you look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 to 9, Jesus defines a practical atheist. I'm going to be reading from a version called the Christian Standard Bible, uh, and he's describing the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem. And there it says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human commands. See, atheism believes that there is no God, right? A fool believes that there is no God. Practical atheism doesn't care. It doesn't care if there's a God. A practical atheist doesn't have a desire to seek out God. A practical atheist doesn't have a desire to seek out God's will, God's grace, to seek out God's mercy. A practical atheist doesn't care about worshiping God, doesn't care about communing with God, doesn't care about drawing near to God, doesn't care about spending time with God in prayer. Or devotion. Uh, my my dad, uh, he's a retired pastor. He lives in New York now. <clears throat> but back in the day, uh, after I left for college, our church in Chicago uh, it imploded. It had this horrible, horrible split. And as a result, I experienced some church trauma, some church drama, over those years. Suddenly, the folks that I trusted, the folks I'd grown up with. For the majority of my life, they had all turned their backs on me, turned their backs on my family. I don't think I ever stopped believing that God existed, no, but, but I didn't care. I did not care anymore that he did. It was more important for me to focus on, on me, enjoying my life, since obviously living a godly one, it wasn't working out. Unfortunately, that means a large chunk of my life story is, as they would say, not safe for work. So I'm not going to share that here. It's not good for polite company, but I will tell you this. I was a fool. I was a practical atheist. Because it didn't matter whether I believed in God or not, because I was corrupt. I was vile. I was, I was not good. See, a fool is someone who believes or someone who acts like there is no God. A fool is someone that takes the truth we know. For example, that we are all created in the image of God, whether male or female, whether straight or gay, whether Asian or Caucasian or South American or African. It doesn't matter. A fool is someone who takes that truth that we are all image bearers of God and says that the original image that we are bearing, that God doesn't matter. I, I, I'm spending a lot of time on this one word. Um, it's not even the whole verse. But I think it's really important for us to understand what it is that Paul is so desperately trying to avoid being seen as. Let no one see me as a fool. And it's this. This is what he wants us to understand. The fool is the one that lives as if there is no God. And if the fool is the one that lives as if there is no God to live for, 
then the fool is the one that lives for themselves. There's another thing about fools that I want to point out before moving on, but there's an insidiousness to foolishness. If you look at it from a scriptural perspective, the foolishness of a fool is not usually overt. Often the foolishness of a fool, fool it is not a blatant thing. It is often is unnoticed. The foolishness of a fool, it may not appear corrupt. It may not appear vile. Joey mentioned this last week. He said, it is possible to, the, to do the work of Jesus and yet never know Christ. It's possible to do the work of our Savior and yet be a fool. For example, it is possible for someone, for a fool, to be, to be actively involved in supporting, for example, International Justice Mission, IJM, an amazing, or Mobilized Love, or Doctors Without Borders, or UNICEF, or World Wildlife Fund, or NPR, or Save the Turtles, or whatever thing you want to. It is very possible to be doing the work, the good work of Christ, without ever knowing our Savior. Please do not get me wrong. I am not saying that supporting these things are evil or bad or make you a fool. These are good things. It's when a person considers the thing, the image bearer of God, more important than God. That's when we become fools. It's when it's more important for me to look good than for God to get the glory. Identifying the fool, it requires us to understand the heart behind the action when the world thinks when what the world thinks should be a priority becomes the priority that's when we become fools when, when, when our job becomes more important when our job becomes a, por- a priority and it's more important for me to advance my career than to spend time with god that's when i become a fool when, when, when my family becomes a priority, when it's more important to, to build up my kid, I don't have any kids, but my kids' extracurricular resume, right? So that maybe if one day, hopefully, they want to go to college, they want to go to the right college, whatever I define as the right college, they'll get enough money because they've had the extracurricular because I'm not going to be able to afford college. But that's when you become the fool when that becomes your priority. When it's more important to find a spouse, than to find a partner in Christ that will challenge you, that will grow you in your relationship with God. That's when we become the fool. See, when the priorities that we ascribe to are the priorities of the world and not the priorities of God, that's when we become the fool. And Paul so desperately wants us to understand, to be sure that no one sees him that way. No one sees him as a fool. Because he knew that what he was about to share in this letter, it was absolutely going to make him look like a fool. Because a fool is one that lives as if they have no faith, rather than living out their faith. The fool is the one that says in their heart, there is no God. Because a fool lives their lives as if there is no God. A fool cares more about how good they look, not how good, not how good God is. So verses 16 to 18, Paul writes, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. And what I'm 
what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since my many boast according to the flesh, I, I too will boast. So Paul, after begging people to read what he's about to write with the full understanding that he's only doing this because everyone around him seems to be duped by foolish people. So that's what he's going to do. He's going to act the fool just for a second to prove how he, how Paul, even using the standards of fools, how he's still more qualified than all the purveyors of the false gospels being preached. He is still more qualified to preach. So verse 22, he starts that foolish boasting. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a... And then he stops because he can't do it anymore. He says, man, I'm talking like a madman. Paul stops himself because he cannot do it. He cannot continue talking like a fool anymore. And so now we come to the second word I wanted to focus on, which is boasting. What it means to boast as a fool versus boasting as a follower of Christ. Because at least here in this passage, boasting is not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. It's what is being boasted about that we need to consider. Um... I don't know if y'all have a, a similar issue uh, about, with boasting, but as a traumatized Korean-American son of a minister, boasting is not a good thing. It is not acceptable for me to boast. Uh, it's definitely not natural for me to boast. Uh, my form of boasting uh, is very different from what you all might have experienced in Western culture, the Western style of boasting. My style of boasting is going to be a little, use a little subterfuge. It's going to make me sound like I'm really putting myself down, but what I'm actually doing is trying to get other people to boast for me, so I'm actually not doing the boast. It's like I'm saying, oh, I'm, I'm not a good bass player. And I do that so other people will say, no, you're amazing, because I know I'm the best bass player. Uh, no offense uh, to you, Matt. I know I'm the best, and I know that I can do whatever I want, but I can't say I'm the best, so I try to make it so other people, that's how I boast. Um, it's a weird reverse psychology, Asian shame kind of thing going on there. And I'll tell you, when I was working in the private sector, in the tech sector, um, one of the worst things for me was annual reviews. I don't know if y'all haven't had to do those before. Because the whole thing of an annual review is you have to boast about yourself. I don't know if it's the same, again. But basically, if for my annual review, I had to sell myself. I had to prove to my boss what my worth was to our company. You know, I, I, I had to explain how valuable I was. I had to tell the, my boss how important I was because I helped close X number of deals. I made N number of dollars, et cetera, et cetera stuff like that. And I'm not trying to sound racist at all. I apologize. But I look at my non-Asian uh, coworkers, and they really seem to do it well. They really seem to like to talk about themselves, um, most of them. But if I were to use my, my style of boasting during an annual review, that would have been really, really bad. You know, you go, oh, I'm not a very good employee. Oh, no raise for you. Um, that would have been bad. So when I started, another little tangent, sorry. Uh, when I started doing my own reviews of my staff, 
it was weird because I had to listen to people boast about themselves. Um, and what I realized is that there is not only a cultural divide in boasting, there's also a generational divide in boasting. And you may not be aware of this, but my boomers, my boomers could care less. They were just tired, like whatever. <laughs> I've been here longer than you. I'm going to die after you leave or whatever. So they didn't care. Gen Xers and millennials, they were similar to me. They would talk about all the things they'd done over the last year to make the company successful. And so they're boasting I was used to. But then you got the Zoomers, the Gen Zs. They would come. It was a mind-bending mind shift because basically they would not. I had to convince them how the, how great our company was. Basically, Zoomers were less about listing their accomplishments. The Zoomers I worked with, they were much more about how you know how is this job fulfilling me? How is this job benefiting the world through me? And it was I had to convince them that this was their dream job, and that and then I retired because I can't do it anymore. That's really off topic. Let me get back to the biblical, <laughs> the Bible. Today's passage, Paul realizes that he really needs to act the fool. He needs to act the fool to get the attention of the Corinthian Christians who are being fooled by fools. And acting the fool, acting like a person who did not know God, it was such a painful thing for him to do. But he's going to do it. He's going to do it because he so desperately wanted to make sure that his sisters and his brothers in Christ did not lose sight of the truth of the gospel. And acting the fool meant for Paul to boast about himself, which was so hard. Acting the fool meant that he had to make it all about me. He needed to act the fool so that he could show why folks should listen to him instead of to anyone else. And he does get through a few of them, but then he just can't continue on. It was, it was so unnatural for him. It was just wrong. The words did not make sense coming out of his mouth. He, if he had been sending a text message, the way I was reading it, it would be like all caps with multiple exclamation marks at the end. I'm talking like a madman. But he doesn't stop boasting. He just stops boasting like a fool. Now, he switches to boasting as one who knows God. He's boasting with wisdom. The last question he asks in verse 22 is, part of this boast was this, are they servants of Christ? And Paul is getting ready to boast about himself again. I'm, better, I'm a better one because, and then he can't do it, right? Because being a servant of Christ is not about the accolades. It's not about the awards. It's not about me. Because, because Paul's authorization, Paul's authentication as a servant of Christ is about his willingness to depend on God alone in his suffering. Paul's saying, I'm a better servant of Christ because because I'm willing to put in the work to share the truth of Jesus's gospel message with you. And he wasn't willing to take money uh, from the Corinthians so that they would think that he was just telling them what they wanted to hear so that they would continue to support him. He wasn't, no, I'm a better Christian, he's saying, I'm a better servant of Christ because I was in prison. 
I was in prison because I was unwilling to kowtow to the worldly authorities that, that were trying to be above God. Paul is saying, I am a better servant of Christ than these super apostles that are trying to lead you away because I was willing to be beaten for the sake of the gospel. Paul's writing, I am a better servant of Christ because I was willing to die for you. I was willing to die for you so that the message of Jesus' redemptive act on the cross could be shared with you, my sisters and my brothers. So gospel transformed boasting is understanding that neither society nor cultural norms, that should not dictate how we boast. Gospel transformed boasting understands that the only thing worth boasting about is the work that God has done in our lives. The work that God has done because of his mercy, because of his grace, and because of his love. See, gospel-transformed boasting is boasting in and about God. Boasting in God is understanding that our suffering, our lack, it shows God's might and power. Boasting in God means that we can talk about our lack because that gives God the glory for the amazing work he is doing through us every day. You know, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, um, which is very true. And Paul's point is that our boast should not be about what I can do. It should be about what God has done and what God is doing. It shouldn't be about me being extraordinary. Gospel transformed boasting is, is me saying that I am so ordinary and my God is so big that he's doing amazing things with me and he's doing amazing things through me because it's not about me. It's about God. <clears throat> I want to start wrapping up um, and then we're going to have communion today. I want to wrap up by reading to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16 to 31. And I'm going to read a different translation again. This one's called the Passion Translation. And this is what it says. Brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards, nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call. But God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and the powerless to shame the high and the mighty. He chose the lowly. He chose the laughable in the world's eyes. He chose nobodies so that he would shame the somebodies. For he, for God chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God as we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one. And now, 
Now he's our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption. And this fulfills what is written. If anyone boasts, let him only boast in all that the Lord has done. See, Paul's desperate plea started off with, let no one think that I'm a fool. And it's one I hope that we all might proclaim and claim as our own. If you're here now, and you are not sure about the God that we've been talking about, whether this God is real, or maybe uh, you're open to learning more about it, but you just don't know, please come to me, come to Pastor Joey, come to anybody in this room that you're comfortable talking with, because here's the thing, I would love to boast about you knowing God, because this is the work that God has done. If you're here now and you've been living like you don't care if God is real, if you've been living the life of a practical atheist, then the first thing I'm going to say is this. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being in this place. Because I know that the very first step to allowing the Spirit of God to transform you into a beloved child of God again, that God, that God so desperately wants you to be, is to come before Him, to gather together. And then Paul says in verse 30, he says this, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Because here's what I want you to leave with. Gospel transformed boasting means that we boast of the things that mean something. And the things that mean something, the things that mean everything are the things that God has done and the things that God is doing. For our heart's desire is for his kingdom to come. Our heart's desire is for his will to be done through us and with us so we can boast wisely by boasting about God. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we come to you humbly confessing that we are, we are unworthy. Yet we're made worthy by your love. So we ask that you restore us into your arms of love, Heavenly Father. We come to this table because we know that your son's ultimate sacrifice on the cross it has made us righteous and that the continuing work of the Holy Spirit is transforming us to no longer be fools in your eyes, God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. Amen.